It's like dog bones from heaven. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us each different gift. If we ask ourselves, well, what aspect really ignites my passion around the Qur'an? Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin, founder of Nude Human Consulting. I'm very happy today to have Dr. Celine Ibrahim on the on the show today. Welcome, Dr. Celine. It's an honor to be with you, Kareem. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Where are you calling in from today, sister? I'm in the great town of Groton, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. Wow, nice. Mass is my um my my birthplace and where I was mostly shaped and nourished. That's why I'm so salty. I'm surprised you you got out. A lot of people get in the vortex here and and don't need to leave. So many good people, good institutions, but Totally. Yeah, I mean I love what I love about Boston is definitely the um you know, the directness, the uh that it's hard to make friends, but once you do, they're, they're like lifelong, long. right? Once you break yeah. in. But the reason why I, was, I, I got out, based on what you're saying, is because I didn't grow up um, loving sports. Like everybody <laughs> loves sports, you know? Just random guys at the gas station, like, hey, what's the score? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about or whether or not you're talking about hockey or baseball or football. Uh, and then, of course, the weather. It's just, you know, not doesn't work with my genes, so... <laughs> so, Dr. Celine, I'm very happy to have you on, and a fellow uh, Massachusettsite, I guess. What would be the term for that? You know, there's other terms, but I won't use them. Uh, <laughs> so, that's an inside joke for 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 people from Mass. But, uh, Dr. Celine, tell us a little bit more about what you do and why you do what you do. Yes. Well, I'm a student of the Quran first and foremost, and that manifests in different forms. So for me, sometimes that means writing a book or an article or a blog, and other times that means educating about the Quran, and other times that means just sitting with the Quran myself and coming to the Quran with a question. And uh, more broadly, I teach Islamic studies and I teach religious studies, and I've taught in many different contexts in the university and graduate schools and theological schools. And currently I'm teaching in a high school and I'm teaching. Yeah, alhamdulillah, it's, it's a real honor and, it, and also a challenge to work with young people at a time when, when they really do have deep questions about life and about their own spirituality and their own religious upbringing or their own capacity to differentiate from their parents, for instance. So Sister Celine, your name is Celine, your last name is Ibrahim, you're a student of the Qur'an. So are you studying the Qur'an um, also in Arabic? And if you are, um, why don't you give us some you know, motivation? Because I know a lot of people, even born Muslim, they're like, oh, there's always that Arabic thing. Like, oh, I got to get to my Arabic. I got to study Arabic. When am I going to know Arabic? So maybe you can remind us that, you know, uh, of your pursuit and, and what were some of the ways you overcame that challenge, especially if you weren't a native speaker? Yes, well, I became Muslim in my early 20s, alhamdulillah, and that's the point at which I started learning Arabic. And I actually started learning Arabic before I started becoming a, a, a Muslim, at least conscientiously. And I think one of the things that supported me along the way was the principle that if you struggle with a letter, you'll be rewarded even more than a native speaker. 
And people all across the world would tell me that wherever I would go and I would feel frustrated and I'd uh, be really craving a breakthrough and, and would just be pushing on without any uh, sense of, uh, of a breakthrough. And that principle would, would keep me going. And the very first time I actually picked up a mushaf, I didn't even know it was called a mushaf at that point, but I had been reading a translation of actually Al-Ghazali in English. And I said, I, I want to see what this verse is like in context. And so a friend had given me an Arabic English Quran, and I had just known enough Arabic to start trying to piece letters together into words. And so I reached for that volume and the first, I just opened it randomly and right at the top of the page was the ayah that I had been reading from the El Ghazali book. And, you know, it just gave me shivers and things like that have not, alhamdulillah, that's been part of my relationship with the Quran that anytime I feel that, um, you know, I'm, I'm giving it time, <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I feel like reciprocates with little gifts um, in the Quran itself. And, and so um, that sustenance, if you will, that, that seemingly seeming confirmation of my struggle, that it is bearing fruit, uh, that's what's kept me going. It's like dog bones from heaven. I call them because it's like, you just, I'm so hungry, God, I want a steak and I'm, I'm fighting for a steak. But once in a while, you're not, you're just not, your metabolism isn't ready for the, the steak and potatoes. So, but you do get a few appetizers or little dog biscuits to chew on and be like, oh, nice. I got some validation, right? So I think that's a really good reminder is that people often think things aren't working when they don't get the outcome or the end results right away, right? Mm -hmm. We have to recognize that every little step in your effort is part of the success, right? Your success is based on hundreds of steps or hundreds of days or hours or thousands, and eventually it consolidates. So this is what you're reminding us of here. And, you know, another principle really helps me. It's that even when I look to people who have memorized the Quran back to front, they're still students of the Quran and they're still learning. And that's one of the, I think, the most beautiful principles within Islam that it is that ocean of wisdom totally so today Dr. Celine you're going to take us on the lovely journey of learning more about how to improve our relationship to the Quran and how the Quran can help us improve in our relationships amongst each other mm -hmm. so the first thing that I think of in terms of forming a relationship with the Quran is actually forming a relationship with other people who also value the Quran. Because I find that the more I'm surrounded by people who are also making, you know, engagement with the Quran, uh, an emphasis in their life, the more I'm going to do it. And for me in particular, this takes the form of having a regular person with whom I study. And she would say she's studying with me, but I think I'm studying with her. And uh, that relationship is such a precious one, and it's based on our mutual love of the Qur'an. Uh, and so I think, practically speaking, uh, it's, it's good to look for people like that in our lives. And if we do already have people like that in our lives, to make a priority to spend the time with them and with, with the Qur'an. So that's 
that's one aspect I think that that is important. For sure. Now, at the beginning of your Islam, did you kind of see the Quran as the main um, pursuit of knowledge, like in your early years? Because I know that some people today, Islam, you know, the Quran is almost like number seven on the list of like, how do I improve? It's like, oh, I'm going to listen to this person or I'm going to go join this social activist group. And a lot of things are kind of, you know, cloaked in Islam or related to Islam. But, you know, it's like many people don't go to the Quran itself, right? Or the authentic sunnah for the answers, right? They're still asking somebody or some other group or some other movement, right? But why is this sometimes dangerous or even um, harmful to one's faith if you're always listening to how other people interpret what the Quran says, even though that's not always a problem, but, but and you don't have your own personalized relationship with the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and I think this is really important, everyone, because we know that if I had a, you're, you're married. Okay. So, so let's take the analogy of, of husband and wife, right? So if you never answer your husband when he talks to you at home, or he calls you and sends you text messages, especially when you're out all day, or you're even traveling for a conference, right? What's probably going to happen, right? There's going to be a, a distance, um, a feeling of, you know, uh, resentment, even over time, I'm not cared exactly. for this. They don't, there's no, yeah, there's no meaning that I'm, I'm work, we're exchanging or, or, you know, uh, resolving here. So I say, what about the divine text messages? And, you know, phone calls, if you will, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is what we call revelation. I mean, if we really believe this is the speech of Rabbil Alameen, mm-hmm. I mean, that, every time I tell myself that, and this is this show is a big reminder for me, first and foremost, I'm like, wow, how am I living up to that belief? Because if it's really what we say it is, this should be the thing, the speech we want to hear the most, even more than the speech I give myself, which is difficult. But, you know, so... Uh, that's what comes up for me in this idea of the importance of having a relationship to the Quran. And I'd love to hear, you know, what you have to add to that feedback. Yes. I mean, to me, it's something that I I want to know, you know, I want to know it like I know my own hand uh, to kind of appropriate a, a, a Quranic metaphor. And it's that degree of certainty. So, so much in life is in fact quite uncertain. And here is word that you know in them there is no doubt and that to me is a refuge from uh, all the other uncertainties in life and i i think that's the the gift that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given this ummah and you know i i that was one of the uh, the facets of islam that attracted me in the very beginning yeah the improving of relationship to the Quran, one tip you gave us so far is spend, have good companions that remember Allah and his messenger and, you know, things of benefit often, but specifically those who have a serious um, practice or, you know, let's say ritual around engaging with the Quran beyond, you know, once a year in Ramadan or once a week at Jummah, even though if that's what you're doing, great, Allah increase you. But, you know, we want, to, again, if this is really the speech of God, Right. It's like you wouldn't ignore a message from your boss for a week straight if it was sitting in your voicemail or your wife or your husband or even your mother or father, etc. So what about the messages from Allah? Can you can you tell us a little bit more about how do we also improve this, um, you know, realization, essentially? Right. Yes. And I think before we go too far on that point, I think just to emphasize that 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us each different gifts. And so, for instance, I'm really interested in grammar. So when I engage the Quran, some, you know, something comes out in that aspect. And another person might be interested in, in the philosophy and the deep meaning. And, you know, another person might have perfect tajweed. And, and so part, I think, of the importance of engaging the, the Quran with other people and, and hopefully ideally with a deep uh, friendship, a companionship that, that evolves, you know, with that person around the Quran. Uh, it's also that recognition of you don't have to be perfect in understanding the meanings and being able to pronounce it and, you know, being able to read it fluently. And um, that that's part of the way that we validate each other's spiritual gifts is, you know, in in finding ways to to uh, to share them with with each other, and so I think sometimes if we ask ourselves, well, what aspect really ignites my passion around the Quran? Um, that might be a way in for people who might be either he- hesitant, feeling like they just don't know enough, or feeling like. Um, that, that it, it's a too overwhelming a task to just begin. Yeah. So if I feel stuck and it's so overwhelming, I don't even know what the Fatiha means. Um, where do I start? Like, do I just read the English? Do I, you know, as an academic, as a professor yourself, how would you guide me as your student? Like, I want to know Arabic. I, I'm frustrated. I, I only know English. I'm, you know, I'm 45. I'm 25. It's Is it too late for me? You know, what would you have to say to people who think like that? Mm-hmm. So I, I think people, if they focus on, a, even if it's an ayah, that speaks to them deeply, and then learn how to say it with tajweed, learn the deep meanings of each of the words, you know, understand how the letters connect with one another, you know, think, contemplate it, and I think going at that pace, just small chunk by small chunk by small chunk and uh, giving it, giving, giving the, the Quran, giving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that open channel of, of communication, uh, that to me is maybe a, a good place to, to start. And you know, for different people, what, I, what ayah or what surah that is, 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 you know, going to be different, but I'd say just even if it's just to say, you know, say Bismillah and open the Quran and point and there's your ayah and dissect it and understand it and seek out someone who can help you learn it. Um, and, you know, step by step l- like that, you know, maybe you'll get to all 6,000 plus of them, inshallah. Inshallah. I think that's great advice. In fact, that's um, f- advice I've given myself and, and try to remind myself of, which is, Look, isn't it better to know one verse of the Quran word for word, like really know like Azbab and Nuzul, the reasons why it was sent down, the context, the vocabulary. I have an a Quranic dictionary that I'm I've got, you know, tons of footnotes and I'm 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 a vocab word geek, so I'm not I'm not as <laughs> excited about the grammar maybe as you are, but I love words and be like, "Oh, what is that? I want to look that up." And then I go look up the brand, you know, the root and and I tell people, "Look, just learn, like in Ramadan, we often go for like, I got to do khatm, 
I got to do this, I got to do that. MashaAllah. But if you still don't know what the Fatiha means, just mm-hmm. make Ramadan about you learning the word-for-word word meaning of Fatiha. And what I mean by that is you go, Bismillah, and you can translate B, Ism, right? Illa, right? And you know what those mean. And, you know, why this is, why does it say, when, uh, when you are a servant and have a master, it already includes reliance and dependency, but yet isti'ana, re-emphasize that. like I just remember when I learned the meaning of Qul Allahu Ahad uh, Al-Fatiha and all of these short surahs that we all mostly learn at first Ayat Al-Kursi it just takes you to this whole other level even when you recite the surahs in prayer right I mean a lot of us recite Qul Allahu Ahad every day in our salah right and Fatiha certainly you have to so just taking word for word you're telling us and learning that it's like, you know, I always tell people, knowing one verse of the Qur'an with its full meaning is like having a string of pearls. Having the whole Qur'an memorized and not knowing what it means, it's like carrying around a huge, heavy, locked treasure chest. So what? You know, great. It's people, you have treasure, but you can't open it. And you can't really get all the value or even enjoy the beauty of the ornamentation of that, you know, of, of all that Qur'an, right? So that's also important because... You know, obviously there's still barakah in memorizing Qur'an, even if you don't know what you're saying, because I, I believe the very vibration itself impacts the heart in such a way. Ah, but some people still, it's like, not even that's going to come across, um, you know, consciously for the individual. So it's like as if they're studying, you know, Greek or Mandarin. Mm-hmm. What are your well, thoughts about thing, that? As I was hearing you speak, it reminded me that some of my deepest insights and connections have come when I was than teaching what I had learned. So if I took the time to try to understand a particular ayah as best as I possibly could, oftentimes if I could turn around and then try to explain what I learned to someone else, I feel as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give me an immediate reward in another insight that I had not come across just in my own effort. So there's tremendous barakah, not only in learning it, but then in turning around and, and teaching it as well. Right. What other key concepts do you feel, Sister uh, Celine, we need to know about our relationship or improving that to the Quran? Yeah, so I think that the sense that we're living in an age of distraction and the more we can put reminders on our telephones or put post-it notes around our house or you know, just ways to keep trying to refocus and it it's, um, you know, this is advice that I give myself too, and that oftentimes, even if work is piling up or, you know, I, I have an overdue phone call to my mother-in-law, if I can just squeeze in, you know, just a little time with the friend, then it makes other things go so much more smoothly in life. Um, and so that's the, uh, perhaps the, the challenge that we're in in this time. But we're also, we also have an incredible advantage, and you hinted at it before, is that when we want to know the meaning of a word, we can just put it into you know, the online dictionary. When we want to you know, look up a book, we don't have to travel to the next town generally to, you know, to, to discover the parchment, to decipher it. You know? and, and so that sense of everything we need is right at our fingertips. And it's it's just that f- the the focused attention, and so whatever ways in which I think we can habituate and put in routines to be able to help us 
uh, focus is, is a really important factor. Yeah. I mean, it is a double-edged sword, right? The the resources we have today, because many people, it is the reason why they have that accessibility that they're so distracted and wasting so much time, whether it's social media, YouTube, you know, all this stuff, right? But at this, But on the other hand, with the same click of a button, I could be accessing all kinds of great, powerful knowledge that can shape me and mold me into a better person, right? Uh, and so there is, of course, that intention. But of course, intention sometimes um, can only stay as alive as we create action to follow it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, our intentions are shaped, excuse me, our actions are shaped by our intentions, but our intentions also don't keep coming up as solid or in the right direction if we also aren't conditioning and training ourselves with action and behaviors you know, pre, uh, you know, as prerequisites or parallel to that, right? So it's it's not easy. Like, for example, you always hear that question of how do I be patient, and the person's in the middle of a calamity right now. It's like, well, you can't. You have to practice patience all the time, so that when something you know smashing hits, you actually have more resilience. But you can't. You know, it's hard to get what you need after you already needed it, right? So it, it, this is also an important point, I think, that you're reminding us of here. So one thing I was thinking of as you were speaking was the practice of going to the Quran with a particular question and, you know, starting with a dua and really asking Allah for guidance on that particular question. And sometimes I've had questions that have been with me two years, three years, but I keep asking them. and And a lot of times there's a moment when something just clicks and I can put one ayah next to another ayah and and have a sense of understanding on a, on a particular idea that then goes on to influence some way of being in, in the world or being in relation to to people in my life. And so that kind of reading with a, a specific purpose in mind, uh, you know, really asking Allah, taking us back to where we maybe started this conversation to give us, reveal to our hearts, in a sense, through this revelation. Right. So can you give us an example? Like, I have the question of, will I get married this year? Like, do I approach the Quran now with that? Or like, again, what people every day aren't necessarily looking for the secrets of the universe, although that would be cool. But not everyone's like, oh, I want to find some secret of the universe by opening up the Quran. It's usually things like, you know, will my mom be okay from her cancer? Will I get married? Um, Will I get this job? Uh, etc. Yeah, so that's that's a, so those are some great examples. So, for instance, if you are thinking about getting married, well, the Quran talks about marriage a lot. So maybe a, a good way to kind of demonstrate to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala that you're ready for a spouse is to understand what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has said about marriage. And you know, that's what I mean about going to the to the Quran with with a question like this. And for me, that's been a lot about uh, what is my value, worth, role as a woman in society. And I've taken that Quran, that question, uh, that going to the, the Quran with that question actually ended up being the subject of my dissertation research and my first monograph. And so obviously, it's partially answered, perhaps some aspects of it have become answered. But oftentimes, that deep question is for me the lens through which a lot of the crying comes to life and whether that's in thinking about the female figures in in the Quran which has been the subject of a lot of my research or it's thinking about issues like 
how to be a sister or a mother or a daughter that those issues to me are are um, both profound but also every day and that tension for me is is has always been very interesting how do you take kind of apply the quran in concrete ways but also try to understand bigger questions so why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create a species that is male and female? Uh, and why does the does the Quran discuss it continually that way? And for instance, what does that tell us about the way in which we see gender expressed in our world today? And so those big ideas, I, I enjoy approaching, taking questions like that uh, to, to my reading and engagement with the Quran. But then they also tell me things about just my everyday life and, and decisions that I make on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Well, Dr. Selene, can you take us in that direction? I'd love to hear more about that. Men and women, gender, like w- what have you taken away as, as far as those themes and how does it concretely work in our everyday lives? What have you taken away as, as far as those themes and how does it concretely work in our everyday lives? Yes. So when I took my initial question to the Quran, it was something like this. Like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you name prophets that seem to be all men and you tell sacred history through a lens that is largely focused on patriarchs. So what is the role of women and matriarchs in society? And so that was my starting point many, many years ago, actually. And through asking that question, I've been perhaps able in my own head, at least, to unpack many of the Quranic verses, for instance, that value women's insights and contributions to society so, for instance, Maryam delivers the word of God. She does it physically with her body going into labor. And so that, to me, is a profound affirmation of, let's call it a, a spiritual competency that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given uniquely to women generally through kind of thinking about how that lets me think about prophecy and and, and prophethood I think then I I go and have a more uh, nuanced um, understanding perhaps of who the prophets were and how their message was conveyed uh, so, for instance, if you take a, a figure like Musa, Moses, 
he had not only a mother who was receiving you know, revelation wahi, to her, but then he also had a foster mother who was an emblem of uh, courage. He had a sister who was witty and uh, quick to act and you know, very caring about his well-being. You know, he had a wife who essentially got her father to propose on her behalf to Moses. You might have the prophetic figure of Musa, alayhi salam, but the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us his story is largely him being carried from one station to the next in his life by these women figures. And so that it doesn't, someone could read that and say, why is there um, a male protagonist and then all of these women are just playing supportive roles? And does that mean that women in society can never be like the protagonist or can never be the business owner or can never be the politician? Or does that mean they're only relegated to these supporting roles? And I think that's such a simplistic reading of what's going on. I, I love those two. And in fact, I was actually going to bring up Medium, uh, peace be upon her, but, but you took us there. SubhanAllah. So Allah knows what's in our hearts. But I was just having that conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago. I was like, you know, I know I think Ibn Hazm was of the opinion that she was a prophet. Um, but, uh, and because I asked somebody who is, you know, studying of the Quran. And I said, you know, that's interesting because by definition, a prophet is somebody who, Neba, you raise them in status. Two, they have um, vision of prophecy or something yet to come. Mary had both of those things. Uh, three, um, she uh, had miracles, right? Uh, but then there is the there is the discussion about okay, but did she bring new like did she bring scripture or did she reinforce and reinforce and preach a previous message, right? So um, and then that's like the question, right? Is did she do that or did she not do that? And why wouldn't she be considered a prophet if? She does uh, meet the definitions of prophets, but then others say, well, because Allah says we always sent prophets as men. Uh, again, I don't know, you can correct me. Yeah, so the one thing that I noticed in looking pretty systematically at all the female figures who are mentioned is that no one preaches. There's not a single woman figure in the Quran that preaches in the way that oftentimes we see men preaching. And you know, a simplistic reading would say, oh, then women shouldn't have a public speaking role or something like that. But I, I think there's something more sophisticated going on uh, because you do, you know, for instance, you have the Queen of Sheba and she does, she has a powerful role. She is a skillful diplomat. She successfully you know, evades war and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put on the prophets that are explicitly mentioned as, as prophets in the Quran is this burden of preaching. And everything else that men do in the Quran, men, male figures, in terms of their relationship with God or their uh, capacity as spiritual beings, you also then find women doing in, in other instances. Um, and so it's, it's a, a very specific aspect of preaching. It's not about woman's voice necessarily, but there is no place in the Quran where a woman has this responsibility of conveying the message to an entire people. They, they do other things. Right. Which to me makes a lot of sense because 
from what I know, every time a prophet came to his people, there was not a celebration and a big banquet to celebrate, you know, be like, they weren't happy with it, right? It was often met with aggression, violence, you know, uh, abuse. And so there, that's something a lot for a woman to take on, especially in, in historically speaking, right? Because the societies and structures of the way people were, uh, it would have been, you know, almost like an unrealistic task, you know, to, to ask, even though Allah can do whatever he wants. But again, like you said, there's a lot of sophisticated lessons here that we have to uh, look for. And as you said, with Musa, السلام, if it wasn't for the feminine uh, roles in his life, he wouldn't have been able to fulfill his messengership. So Allah is also showing us the, um, you know, the, the yin and yang that's always taking shape, even though, as we know, with the yin and yang symbol, the part of the masculine or the feminine protrudes more than the other side, but there's also aspects of the feminine that's stronger or protrudes over the masculine. So at times, the masculine and feminine energies, just like the names of Allah from Jalali and Jamali, for instance, uh, it's more appropriate or more um, you know, uh, um, effective if one power or force um, comes out in a certain way more than the other. But that doesn't mean that Everything else now is overshadowed by that. No, it's it's all it's all working together. And sometimes you've got to be out there. Sometimes you got to be in here because the same prophets who go home and are falling apart or are are terrified of what's happening or they're feeling you know inadequate. It's their wives and mothers and you know daughters that are like no, you know get back out there and step up and 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 do what Allah has commanded you to do. So what if the guy you know what if the, you know the prophet was a single guy you know and he came home and there's nobody nobody there right. So it's interesting that, you know, as you're, as you're telling us here is that sometimes I would argue, especially today, a lot of, you know, uh, newer generation Muslims who don't have a very, you know, solid grounding in the history or the tradition itself, they kind of attack things in these very one-dimensional ways, right? It's like, oh, this means this or this means that. And it's like, you know, just look things up and, and do some research. Well, you, you said something that reminded me of another aspect in my research is that almost every male figure that's explicitly mentioned as a prophet or a rasul, nabi or rasul, is also at some point in the Quran also mentioned with their family. And, and to me, that is a profound um, emphasis on not just the, the male patriarch, but the, the role of that mostly supportive family, although we, we do see instances where where the prophet is not supported by a, a, a wife figure. and Or another family member. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I think as well, if we then take a lesson and try to apply it to our lives, I've gotten lots of questions about you know, in my role as a chaplain and working with younger people who are con- con- working with younger people who are contemplating marriage, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places certain expectations on the, the male figure in the marriage and other expectations on a female figure in, in the marriage? And uh, to me, partially, we can look at the rules and regulations that are in the Quran to try to understand that, but we can also look at the stories and say, well, how does... Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala depict married figures in, in the Quran. And we we see really fascinating things. So, for instance, going back to Musa, we see that his future wife sees in him you know, strength and trustworthiness. 
And so when I say, when I meet young Muslims who are asking me questions about, well, how do I get married? And my parents are pressuring me and I don't even know what to look for in a person. I say, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this insight in the form of a, of a story, really, that, you know, look for, look for trustworthiness and look for, you know, that, that aspect of kawi, which, you know, not, I tell, I, I joke with people that it's, it could mean like, you know, your, your bodybuilder type, but I think it's referring to inner strength and, uh, and, um, so, you know, so look for that in a person. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has told us. So even though you don't find a direct ayah that says, you know, Muslimat, go look for the kawi, you know, the mateen or, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you, you find the lesson in the story. You're right. You know, we have to have more, I want to say, intellectual and spiritual complexity and thirst. Because if if Islam, the way I like to frame it, Islam is a path to God. Islam is a um, toolkit to cultivate your relationship with the divine, right? And Islamic psychology is mine and your personal quest of that. Right. And like you said, not everything will appeal to everybody in the same way. Or you might feel very drawn to grammar or this or that. Or other people are really good at fasting every other day. And I'm just like, oh, Ramadan is all I can do. You know, I need my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> right. You want to turn on the light? Yeah, yeah. There you go. That, oh, that's a bit better. But... No, it's way better. It was it was pretty much uh, all I saw was the nude of your soul. So I couldn't <laughs> yeah. you see your face anymore. Mashallah, <laughs> Allah increase you and your family. So so there is, this, of course, this idea of we also have to put in that effort and legwork to uh, get innovative and creative. And um, if we're not, like you said earlier, putting ourselves in spaces where we can receive some of those gems and insights from Allah, i.e. through our effort, through our engagement, through our, I'm not going to give up even though I still can't read this ayah right, or I don't know what this word means yet, or why this verse, what this verse is really trying to say yet. The point here is, if you're not seeking truth and having patience, uh, then you're not going to have an opportunity. You're going to always give up or close things, you know. And sometimes you get it on the first go. Sometimes it takes three or 30. But it, but what matters is, are you going to get it? And in the big picture, um, is it going to, um, you know, comprehensively shift your heart and your mind as needs be? So that's definitely important. That we, like you said, it's like there isn't these clear like, oh, here are the 10 things you look for in a uh, future wife. Although I would argue you could say Surat Al-Mu'minun, for example, yeah. here are the qualities yeah. a real believer has. So you should probably look for those things in whoever you think, you know, whoever you want to marry, because those are signs of what a real believer is. Bringing it back to Maryam is what's fascinating is, isn't it true, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Allah describes her as the best woman in alameen? Well, the, the word is not the best per se. It's that she's chosen among all the women of the world, which um, to me is important because oftentimes I think human beings were focused on well, what is the best. And, you know, we, we can be the best in all different types of things. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose her and she was chosen among, you know, twice Allah says, so um, selected, chosen. And so she was chosen in some very specific respects. And then there's also other women in sacred history who are chosen in other respects. And 
Um, I, I think that doesn't, uh, I think in, in our triviality where we sometimes fall into the trap of going, well, who was the best woman ever? And, and I, I, I think that Allah is showing us a lot more nuance. And on that point of, of um, Maryam Salam being chosen, of course, the most obvious way that she was chosen is that she was chosen for, for this miraculous conception of, of Isa salam. But there's another aspect in which she's chosen. And, and I love that the Quran emphasizes twice that she was chosen. And this is an example of a question I've come to the Quran with for a really long time. Why is Maryam salam, the only woman mentioned? And finally, in the end... She's the only one mentioned by name, just to clarify? Yes, exactly. Got only it. one okay. mentioned by, and by, by first name, not by title or... or like. Right, subhanAllah. And always associated with Isa when he's mentioned. Isa ibn Maryam. Yeah. Or, or at least uh, there many, are many accounts times, of it. Yeah. So yes, not every It's time. actually, I don't want to get too distracted from the point I was just making, but this is also exciting. Uh, it seems that her name is mentioned 34 times in, in the Quran. That's roughly divided between times when the Quran is referring explicitly to her and times when it's the Quran Allah is referring directly to Isa as the, the son of Miriam. So there's a, a certain balance there. Uh, in, in, in the Quran. But the point I was making before is that she, in a sense, is chosen to be the only woman who's mentioned by name in the Quran. SubhanAllah. And yeah. that's an example of, of something I struggled with for five years as I was writing a, a book, essentially, on the women figures in the Quran, trying to figure out why is it, why is it Allah that you only, you know, give us one name of one woman and, and I don't know any of the others. And finally, my heart just came settled on um, that is an aspect of, of uh, Maryam salam, her chosenness. Wow. And Allah, Allah knows so best, she... but that quieted my heart and that made me, you know, gave me comfort about that particular question. Yeah. Yeah. And and the Prophet Muhammad salam, is mentioned by name in the Quran? Yes. Um, so if you count a, a surah uh, title that is oftentimes like Surah Muhammad, then you come up to five total, I believe. Five. But Musa Islam is mentioned most by name in the mm -hmm. Quran, right? So, so again, it's like, again, if we really just go with that, right? It's like Mary is chosen. She was chosen, uh, um, like you said, among, uh, in the Alameen, mm -hmm. right? Then the Prophet Islam, we also know, is the chosen mm -hmm. one. And he was the final messenger and prophet and the best of creation. Yet he's mentioned five times. Mm -hmm. And then Musa Islam is mentioned more than both of them, right? So it's just interesting because if we sit and try to like pick, you know, oh, because the, the, the prophet was the most recent, he has to be mentioned the most. Or Musa was this, or so he had to be mentioned this amount of times, like the number of tribes of Israel. It's like, you know, getting too caught up in all that is not healthy. But you are still asking that question, not from the numerical standpoint, but more of this meaningful standpoint. So why was it, you know, a tension for you? Like, were you just because you wanted to know, you know, who are these other women that you were mentioning? Or is it like the case of, I forget the surah, uh, Celine, please remind me. You know how like there's a verse, a surah in the Quran where Allah, people are arguing with Allah about, it might have been Bani Israel with the Baqarah or the the story of the cave. like, And basically God's saying, look, it's irrelevant how many people were there or how what yeah. color it needs to be or how many years it was. The point, you're missing the point, yeah. right? Can you just remind us of that lesson? Because I think it might tie to where we're going with this. Yeah. Well, 
there's a lot of ways we could take that those particular examples but for for me there's a tendency to maybe want to show how much we know and it's a form of arrogance and i think that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with those kinds of examples reminds us over and over and over again that uh we that that the the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us the relevant details that we need to know and it's all there and you know we don't need to get caught in the weeds of of sources or semi-reliable sources trying to figure out the details that we can first focus on what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us explicitly and implicitly. Um, and I guess that to tie it back to what we were talking about before, that to me is one of the amazing things about the Quran, that it is an explanation of all things. And, and so to me, it's, you know, the it's the rope, the rope of Allah and, uh, and it's something to cling to. And, you know, we need other sources at a certain level to understand the, the Qur'an, but even if we just confine ourselves to focusing on this one book, you know, we hardly have a need of, of, of any other source of of, um, of sustenance in terms of our our deep intellectual and spiritual needs. It's it's there, and we can benefit from other things, surely, and they, they can help to clarify, and, um, you know, that's a, it's important to understand the, the Quran through the uh, the writings of scholars. Uh, but at the same time, it's, this is, we have the sustenance right here. So I, to me, we just need to, you know, continue to drink and, um, and, and, you know, inshallah, Allah continues to open our hearts and minds and kind of pour into us through, through the ayah, the ayats of the, of the Quran, some wisdom, inshallah. Absolutely. And, and I would add that in order for us to stay hungry and thirsty for that sustenance, we have to accept and acknowledge that the Quran is not a crystallized text, right? It's not like, oh, you know, like Shakespeare, even today, people are still interpreting it and the nuances and that's Shakespeare, right? So what about the words of Allah? Aren't the words of Allah alive? If it is the speech of Allah, and if the words of Allah are alive, it's, and this is supposed to be a guidance for all people and all places, then that means the meaning and the life that it'll keep breathing into the souls that engage with it with sincerity. Your Islamic psychology is your personal quest for making meaning, right, of the Quran, of what it means to be a believer and an upright servant and human being and so forth. But I won't have that thirst and hunger if I don't realize this won't stop giving me sustenance and nutrient it's not like oh now, now i know what that means you know deal i can put my feet up now and wait for jenna or i've mastered now uh every layer and level of this right is that correct way to understand how to approach the quran because you know i i get that sense that you're thirsty and hungry and you see that it's an ongoing sustenance but many people see it as like it's like okay i can just kind of i studied it or i'm academically studying the quran like i'm you know but it's not it's you're not actually studying it if you're not trying to live it and certainly engage day-to-day -day life and see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uses the universe as a means to communicate to you. Like we were saying earlier, we get those little bones from heaven or high fives from heaven or God sh clearly shows us synchronicities like I know exactly what you're thinking and what you're feeling right now. And this is no coincidence that you open this and it was right in front of you. And it's Allah reminding you and I that 
don't you believe and don't you and keep your certainty and patience to pursue this truth perhaps mm -hmm. that that's beautifully encapsulated and i think even in this conversation now i'm realizing that sometimes i or other people think of the quran as a book on the shelf and you know or maybe think of it as a recitation that comes through their earbuds uh, but you know, it's, it's alive in the hearts. And, and that to me is, is the, the kind of the metaphor of the garden. Like we're, we're, we're putting the, you know, the letters are little seeds that we're putting in our hearts, inshallah, and that that's where they grow and that's where they live. And, you know, inshallah, that will be the, the um, protection and that, you know, we need to go through this world and inshallah to, to, to find a place, um, you know, place, place of prosperity in the next inshallah. So I think just to round out what we've been saying, it's that energy and effort invested in the Quran has you know, both immediate but also really long-term uh, payback. And so even if it's working up the discipline to have a regular practice or trying to reach out to a friend who will be a good influence on our own study habits and, and engage with the Quran with us in a way that illuminates it, or you know, whether it's going to the Quran with a question and really seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's guidance on that thing through reading verses that pertain to a topic or um, just reading with that open heart to accept the inner sense of, of guidance and wisdom that uh, regularly comes, inshallah, when we engage with the, with the Quran. And we talked about many other things, but those are some that, that come to mind. Um, and, and I just ask Allah that we're always hungry for the sustenance that the Quran gives and that it, it lives in our hearts and that we take its uh, advice and, and put it into practice, inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you so much, Dr. Saleem, for your time. We will certainly have you on again soon to discuss more topics around Quran, relationships, and uh, and women, inshallah. Jazakallah khair, and we'll see you soon, sister. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum.